Hi, everyone. My name is Benno Papari, and this is the Songwriters on Process podcast. Since 2010, I've interviewed over 300 songwriters about, well, their songwriting process. I don't care about favorite cities, tour stories, favorite foods, or anything like that. My goal has always been to treat songwriters the same way that we treat poets and more traditional prose writers. They are writers, plain and simple. In these interviews, we go deep into the specifics of the writing process. This is no, hey, do you start with the lyrics of the music type of interview. Now, a little bit about me. I'm not a songwriter. In fact, I've never written a song in my life. I have a PhD in English language and literature, and I'm a former academic. So as a prose writer, I enjoy exploring how my process intersects with those of songwriters. This is an intelligent conversation about writing between two writers. And that, of course, means we talk a lot about books. The site features interviews across all genres, from metal to jazz, from country to that big category known as indie. You'll find a couple of A-list actors on the site and several members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as well. Now, I select songwriters to interview uh, who fit into one of two categories. One, do I listen to them already? And two, if I don't, would they make for a compelling and intelligent interview? You can find these interviews across all podcast platforms, as well as at songwritersonpodcast.com. Do you have an idea for an interview or a comment about the site? Hit me up at ben at songwritersonprocess.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy. And today on the podcast, it's a good one. I've been doing this for 14 years, I think, about 400 interviews, and this could be in my top three, top five Johnny Marr, pick your superlative, iconic, influential, greatest guitarist. Uh, they all apply. They all, they're all true. Uh, what do I even say? I'm not going to make this a long intro because you don't want to listen to me. You want to listen to him. But obviously, founding member of the Smiths and then long list after that. But um, you're really talking about an icon here. So, I don't post video, obviously, but uh, I think my mouth was just open the entire time listening to him. We did get into the nuts and bolts of the process, the importance of going to art galleries, the importance of reading, how many song ideas he gets while he's running, um, using uh, writing lyrics in a composition notebook. We also got deep into the the production process as well. This is just a deep dive into the creative process with one of the greatest artists of the past 50 years, in my opinion. Um, so the other thing I really enjoyed about this was the depth of his responses. I mean, let's think about how many interviews Johnny Marr has done. And I love all the interviews I've done. I'll preface this. But sometimes you can tell when people may be answering my question in a way that it really, in a not really answering the question because they're kind of, these are kind of rote responses for them. And that's fine. They do these, th these things all the time. I get that. Um, but he was really thinking deep about these responses. And I loved that. Um, he said afterwards how he just doesn't get questions like this very often. But you can really tell by the depth of his responses and the introspection in there, how much he really values these kinds of conversations and how much, how much he thinks about the creative process. And he admits in the interview doesn't admit it. He says it. He's a student of the craft. He loves reading interviews. He loves hearing people talk about creativity because he says you can't be an artist if, you, if you're not a student of the craft itself. So he doesn't understand how people can be in his position 
and not um, be a student of it and learn from others. And isn't that a great lesson too? Um, and it was great to hear him say that. So anyway, I promised I wouldn't talk for long, but I hope you enjoy this. Johnny Marr, you know, songwriters are, I think they fall into two categories. Those who feel that you've got to create every day, no matter how bad it is, or those who feel like you just have to do it when the mood strikes. Um, so where do you fall on that spectrum? Uh, I think you're probably right about that. And, um, I fall into the second category. Uh, although um i know that um that there are many writers who let's say who make a record when they've got a collection of songs say i mean there might be a the bit maybe a distinction between people who make records and people who write songs here but um I, I don't feel like i have to create songs every day although i play the guitar every day um pretty much always uh, not as not not so much as a discipline just because it's something i've always done from being a kid so that's that's a, a habitual thing part of my personality sometimes i approach it as practice and um, so songs come out of that because of, you know, come hit on some riffs and chords and melodies and things like that. So I play music in some sort every day, but um, that's as a guitar player. But writing, um, I think um, when the mood strikes, I I'm a little more pragmatic than that as well. I, because I'm not someone who say, if I didn't feel like writing for uh, several months, um i'm okay with that I, I i don't think so because my experience is that um you know it is like a muscle or you know rust can can get into the machine a little bit and sure if you are able to write songs and you know about the craft sure you can you can do it but it makes it just too difficult if to, to get rust when you get rusty i think um i've had a couple of experiences of that uh, for whatever reasons. Um, and, you know, I learned a long time ago, that's not, that's not such a good habit to get, to get into. So I'm not someone either who is um, like, uh, follow the muse. I'm a little bit, I think I'm a bit more pragmatic than that. Um, and if push, push comes to shove, um, I'd err, always err on, I mean, I've, I've said this many times before, so if people are listening and uh, they've heard me say, it, I am aware that I say, it, but you know, you, you'll probably be, uh, aware of this, um, phrase from Picasso, which is that inspiration does exist, but it has to find you working. Yeah. Um, I, I am a believer in that. And, um, so many things it's a fa it's fascinating songwriting there's so many things i i like listening to interviews with other songwriters even if it's people i'm i'm not necessarily aware of their work just diff the, the process because it's it, it's very much an area which i don't you know i'm sure i have to tell you that um and i think i i like i i i i've been doing it a long time now and it is definitely a craft so does it make I like you anxious? Yeah, I was going to say, does it make you anxious? I mean, if you're not creating for a while, do you feel like, is, it, is there something inside of you that says, you know, I, I do you get that itch to kind of, or that anxiety if you feel like it's been a while since I've had, since I've been inspired? I've had periods, I think I've had periods of like that, but mostly um, I, I know that with a bit of hard work and sometimes a little bit of a grind, not to make it sound like a chore, the worst that can happen is it can be a little bit of a grind sometime. Uh, and, and the way I do things, 
sometimes that that's what happens like if you're working with a track a backing track and um you think yeah you know you think the track's good there's a danger then that you can put too much time into the track where a, the track you are then are invested in it because of the time you've spent on it and and you know, there's there's all these different kind of head trips, which I'm sure you know we can discuss if you want. And that makes it that makes it fascinating. It's certainly not a chore, but it can sometimes grind is a part of it. I think uh, from my experience, I think one of the things uh, I am aware that I've I've worked with so many different writers. I've done so many different collaborations. Um, you know, as I've got older, um, I I do I draw from. I'm sometimes reminded of how Chrissy Hind works or how Isaac Brock works or when I work with Pharrell Williams or, I mean, there's just a list. There's a long list. Um, and I feel very, uh, it's quite unusual that, and I feel that's quite handy, you know, but ultimately I, I do, I, as a writer, I'm pretty much connected to the person I was when I was 15. I don't think I'm, um, I've had a lot more experience and I know a lot more about the craft, but what it means to me and why I do it, I pretty much nailed down solid when I was 15, I think. Some of it's pragmatism because I used to, frankly, I used to get together with, it was nearly always dudes then, boys, I'd be in bands. And, um, you know, I had a knack for it, but I, I, I just... One of the things was I was re I got really bored of going to band practice and everybody just stoned playing st stuck on the one chord, and I was like, "This is I'm a harmonic guy. I I, I like harmony. I like chord changes. Yeah. So 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 a thing that happened there, which came has come into um, uh, as stood me in good stead over the years, is that I would. Uh, do a little bit of due diligence and I would almost always try and be the guy who always had a few riffs when I got there. And that, that happened when I, that's one really one of the reasons why I ended up actually as a member of the Cribs. Cause when we came to write, I habitually from back, back from when I was 15, these lessons I learned, I, for a few days before I did, did a little bit of a woodshedding, I guess. And, and I kind of brought a few riffs and thought, well, Maybe this will fly and maybe this will fly and all of that. And luckily the old flu, which was good. And similarly, there was a, a, fair, a big story I've told many times about the very first night I got together with Isaac Brock from Modest Mouse, um, you know, that I, I had a riff and, um, and it changed in a second because I picked up a different guitar, but that then became the, the band's hit single from the album. And so, um, Hey, I wish it, I wish that happened more often. But. Well, what do you do? I mean, I, I, I'm a prose writer, not a songwriter. So when I write prose and I feel like it's not happening, I never force the issue. Uh, there are certain techniques that I use. Like I never, I, I'll move to another room. I'll move to another chair. Um, there, you know, when I'm in a rut, I don't want to call it block, but when I'm in a rut, yeah. at least there are certain techniques that I have. I just don't believe of sitting for endlessly and thinking it's going to come eventually. I will, like I said, might go outside. I might change my environment. So are there things that you do when you're in a rut? I agree with, I think no matter how good you are with words, I think it's a different thing with words and with music. 
because it is slightly music it is more ephemeral and more abstract uh this interest i haven't really thought of this before but um yeah i think with words if if i ever get or have got uh stuck i can't remember the terms you use but um the you do have to i think you have to change your headspace one one thing i think is it sounds very simplistic but i i actually think that the biggest uh it's a little like being fit um you i think if you keep your like a furnace inside you if you like of being interested and that's that's a little bit like uh groundwork and trying to keep yourself inspired because obviously this this uh magic you know uh the the, the idea of the muse and inspiration this magical thing it, it is kind of it can be slightly esoteric and it can be ephemeral and, and all of those things but um you know i think life's a little like this anyway if you if you try and be like a dynamo so you kind of work at at finding things that keep you interesting. You know, I, 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 that was reinforced with me with a couple of people that I've worked with. Isaac Brock's a good example, the modest mouse. Um, you know, he would, when, when he was writing, he would read, he would purposefully read books that he th thought would be interesting material for songs. Not that he would take it directly, but, um, you know, really quite abstract things that I think he might not admit this, but I think was a, a good, like, part of his process where he was like, you know, feeding the part of his brain that would need inspiration. And I think, yeah, again, you know, these things are always quite, you know, they're easier to talk about than implement, but I think I've instinctively done that from being a youngster. Um, you know, I'm enthusiastic about writing and, and about music and all of that. And obviously I, you know, I've always listened to music as a fan and all of that. And we all like, I guess it's a bit of a cliche, but, we're students of the form, if you like. You know, we are, you know, everyone I know who's successful, I'm going to say it because it is a little bit of a cliche, but all my, everyone I know personally who's successful, they are students of it. Right. Uh, they will read interviews about David Bowie's process or Bob Dylan's process or Leonard Cohen's process or whoever it might be uh, because they're students and also because we're all passionate and all of that. Um, but um, the, the uh, to get back to this thing of kind of feeding the muse, really, I think is it's a good idea. So uh, that's when that's happening. You you if you're reading stuff, you're obviously making notes. You, you tend not to get so stuck. I think. Yeah, that's uh, that, a great that's point. what happens to me. Yeah. That's what happens to me. Yeah. So, all right, a couple of follow-ups. One related to that, Ernest Hemingway uh, said all writers should go to art galleries uh, because he felt like you can get inspired by different types of art um, as a writer. Um, so this is maybe a, a, a question kind of following what you were saying also, and I do find that songwriters are, and I was going to ask you this in the end, but we'll just do it now, you know, are voracious readers, whether that reading has a direct impact on them um, as a songwriter, maybe not, but I agree with you a hundred percent. So I'd like to talk about reading habits. Um, and, and for me, I'll tell you what I do. So I am a 
I'm a voice person. So when I finish a work of fiction, my first instinct isn't let me read everything by that person. It's let me read someone else to get other voices in my head. Um, I just, you know, I feel like uh, we don't have an infinite amount of time on the earth and I'd rather hear as many different perspectives. Um, And I do like to read a couple of books at the same time. I usually read a fiction and a nonfiction book. Um, And that's my reading habit. So I'd love to discuss that with you. Um, Who are some of your favorite authors, whether that has an impact on you as a a songwriter or not? Uh, Well, I agree. uh, My experience is that if you uh, are following on from what we're saying, to go to art galleries, uh, to be interested in, in my case, architecture and uh uh the lives of poets or uh then um for him, it, it, that's definitely always made me feel like writing words uh, for some reason art galleries um, yeah. yeah art galleries uh books you know uh about uh about uh, conversations with people like le cabousier i mean i went through a, a, a big period the solo records were I look back now and I definitely had a, a manifesto, if you like, and a part of that involved people like Le Cabousier and Neutre, the architects, Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, I mean, one song, um, which is very dear to me, actually, uh, when I sing it, is called Spiral Cities. And um, that came directly from uh, a book called The Crystal Chain Letters, which I, I believe, I want to say it's from the 1940s, but that was... Um, several notable architects of the time and intellectuals of the time. I think uh, Walter Benjamin would have been one of them. Definitely Frank Lloyd Wright was in there and Le Cabousier, um, where they ex- they exchanged correspondence uh, with this experimental idea of designing a utopian city. Uh, and it ended up, they, one thing led to another, the fascinating le- letters, uh, where quite quickly this utopian city they were were virtually designing became why it's called the crystal chain letters is was a glass city in the sky and i had a piece of me so i was reading that book which i I was enjoying the correspondence in there and so obviously it's non-fiction and i was happening to be germinating this track at the same time so i called the song spiral cities and then the song took on this idea of this utopian uh city in the sky which might sound a little fanciful but i was uh part of the manifesto which i i, I don't want to let go of entirely was when i first started with the solo band 10 years ago was to try and avoid singing as much about my inner life and my inner feelings as possible actually which is a whole other uh subject um, but so architecture, uh, another example, um, what the, the other song on the second album playland called dynamo. Um, and I had this, this tune, a melody, I was scat singing. I had this backing track that was, was sounding quite, quite exciting. And I thought it should kind of sound like a, not generic, but it, 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 the, the, the song needed to, the words needed to, to fit and needed the song had a real kind of flowing kind of breezy drive to it. So I thought, well, it should sound almost like a conventional pop song, which is usually about love, but I didn't really want to start singing about a person. So I went and um, stood underneath the building, which is called the Gherkin in London. It's a beautiful, mm-hmm. big glass structure. Yep, I know what it is. And, uh, and um, 
uh, I was running and I went and I stood underneath it and I got some lines and I, I sang this kind of, some of the song is like a, a love song to this building really. And that helped me, again, this is where craft comes in. It helped me circumvent. I felt okay about singing a song about a building. It felt a little too generic singing a song about a person. Uh, so I ended up writing a love song, which is kind of, uh, so it did the trick for the song. You would think it's a power pop love song, but I'm actually singing pretty much in, entirely about, about a building. Uh, so I quite liked the, now, even if that isn't apparent to the listener, it, it was a little bit of an intellectual game that kept me, when I sing it live, I quite like it. I think that was quite clever. Yeah. So there's, I think writing songs, there's a lot of those things, uh, where you have to kind of, um, you, you can either be getting feelings out and, uh, which as I say, I, I've sort of loosened it a little bit now, but I try to avoid that. Um, and there's a reason why it's changed somewhat. Um, but you can also be playing, yeah, kind of playing word games. And I have a very simple, I've learned, it's been a fascinating sort of 10 years because I kind of learned that when I'm on stage, as I sing, if if a few lines come out that make me kind of uncomfortable because they're a little cheesy or a little clunky or, or just or a little ordinary, that's not good. Um, so, in other words, I'm not trying to build. A, I'm not trying to compete compete with uh, with Bob Dylan, or I, I am inspired by and aspire to be my version of Lou Reed or my version of Peter Perrick from the only one. So whoever is in my head at the time, uh, but at the same time, I also have this fairly okay. I'm okay with like, Hey, listen, these sing these songs I've been writing when I'm on stage, do I feel I'm, can I commit when I sing them? Yeah. And I yeah. think, well, okay, that's a good starting point. That's okay. Cause that's kind of, that's not a given. Right. Uh, but with the reading stuff, um, you know, my friend uh, PJ Harvey, Polly, Polly introduced me to um, a, a writer, a Canadian current writer called Anne Carson, who's a novelist, who's an award-winning novelist. Um, uh, her her technique and her style is was is really interesting. It, it gets quite trippy because she then you'd be going along and then she'll mix up the timeline or she'll jump, yeah, jump around in time. And there's, there's a little bit of a, but it's very clever how it's done kind of messing with perception. That's what I mean by trippy. And I enjoyed that. And then at other times I must say, uh, uh, essayists, I've, uh, Joan Didion. Mm-hmm. I like being a fan, you know, um, uh, Joan Didion, uh, let me think, um, Susan Sontag. Now, none of my songs sound like G- Joan Didion or Susan Sontag, but if I if I try and write things where the sentences run along from one to another to another, I go, William Burroughs, great. So, yeah, it's funny. I actually have, I've got some quotes up here uh, by writers that I'd like your take on as a songwriter. And one of them is a William Burroughs quote. So what a great segue. So here's what William Burroughs says. There is only one thing a writer can write about, 
and that is what is in front of his senses at the moment of writing. So I'll repeat that. There is only one thing a writer can write about, and that is what is in front of his senses at the moment of writing. So I I interpret that as him saying, you can't write with distance. Like Hemingway always said he could never he could never write about Paris when he was in Paris. He could never write about Spain when he was in Spain. He needed distance. But I hear Burroughs saying you've got to, it's got to be the immediacy of that moment. You can't have that distance. So I'm curious. Why? What's your take I'm, on that? I'm I'm more with distance, really. I, I'm more kind of um I'm more kind of conceptual, if you like. Uh although Again, great thing about about songs, as you know. Um, uh, there have been a couple of instances where uh, the music, if the music was written beforehand, which it usually is in my case, demanded that I not be conceptual and I sing something from the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but it was you know I mean obviously you can get around you'd have to go I I am feeling this today so for example um, I, I would have intellectually uh, I would have liked you know if you would have asked me six seven years ago I would have gone look and I, in fact I I was saying why is everybody singing about adversity I get it but why is why is everybody vomiting their inner world in not a very, very interesting way. What is this, like, imperceptible adversity that we're all, 60,000 of us standing in this field? Why is everything about the sky and we can make it? And we're, all these platitudes. Now, I don't mean to be elitist or a snob about that, but I was, I was sort of going, when Brian Eno, when I was coming up, Brian Eno was, was singing, like, Needles in the Camel's Eye and A Baby's on Fire. Um, and the king's led hat. I, I found those lyrics more interesting than someone seemingly descending the spiral staircase as a songwriter in the morning and sat at the piano and looking out over the vista in their dressing gown and just going, "My, I lost my phone." Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just kind of thought because I I was very fortunate because I came to my solo records quite late into my career, if you like, having worked with all these great writers and I'd masked, I knew how to make records and I could sing in my own way. I was like, well, oh, okay, what am I going to sing about? I was almost able to, I sort of go, hey, well, what am I going to do here, you know? And um, uh, and I was like, well, you know, I was th- thought about the bands I came up with, Susie and the Banshees, I mentioned Brian Eno, you know, she was singing like, you know, Spellbound, but what a great title, you know? So, uh, and as I say, I, I I was almost going, I know what I don't want to be. I don't want to be, everything be about my inner world. And also, to be fair, there are people who do it much better. So why don't I have this almost blank canvas with my solo career, if you like. Yeah. I could come up with these tunes and melodies. And I was like, okay, what's me and my band going to be? And what will keep me interested? Uh, it doesn't have to be really, really earnest. I was fighting against that. So. I would. I thought, okay, that's where I'm at. But I didn't anticipate. So every album, so at the end of my first album, the first that Messenger, I did all of this, and I was happy with. I had a song called "Word Starts Attack," which was just to kind of to do with modern culture. I had a song called "European Me," which amazingly, absolutely, kind of 
uh, anticipated Brexit, which is I had no idea about. Obviously, that was a weird coincidence. I had this song called The Messenger. None of it was about I feel this, I feel that. But when I got to the end of the album and I, I completed, I think it was 11 songs, I had this feeling of like, I was like, you need to sing something personal. Hmm. You need to flip back. Uh, it's too conceptual. And once I have an idea, once something hits me, if it's a strong idea, good or critical, I, I, I once I've heard it, I can't forget it. And I was like, damn, yeah, I think this record, it needs something sincere, you know? And then the very, so right, I almost, I think I only had 24 hours or 48 hours before the final mix and all of this business. It's really on a deadline. So I, I just kind of out of it, I don't know, needs must. I kind of produced this song and um, it's called Newtown Velocity. And it's the story of me and my best friend at the time, Andy Raw from the Smiths and my wife, Angie, when we were 15, the day I decided to quit school forever. And I, where I walked around town with us and I, I painted this picture of our future and it's a very, uh, it's quite, um, it's a very real and quite emotive and quite a poetic song. It's probably the most, one of my most popular songs that people like. And I learned, I learned a le lesson there for all my clever conceptualizing. I went, God da damn it. <laughs> people really, people really do connect when you are it. This thing is true. Yeah. When you've got a big piece of yourself in it. Now, obviously I know, Every song's every. I think every song's got yourself in it by by definition. Even no matter how clever your your wordplay or your game mental games are, it is you inside it, and maybe it reveals more of yourself than you think. But um, I went ah okay, that's interesting. And then it happened again on the next record where I produced a piece of music. Then and I was like, this is another one of those where I've got to be real. Yeah, I like I like the quote unquote clever ones. All right, um, people might hear them and go, "You're not that clever, Johnny." I'm fine, but you know what I mean by that. Um, the more mind gamesy ones or crafted ones, but people really they just there's a feeling in those ones. Yeah, uh, and then a, a big one happened then on the third record. By that time, I knew okay. The game's up, Johnny. The ones that people really like are the ones that where you're just singing about your actual life. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and then, so on my last record, the last on the last album, there's there's much more of that. And in fact, <clears throat> uh, part of my process, I came into this room before I started to uh, write the, the album, which is called Fever Dreams, which then lockdown happened. It wasn't a lockdown. It was a lockdown record, but I was going to do one anyway. Uh, I finished a, uh, like a tour of about 18 months or something, the previous album. And the very next day I went, I was supposed to go on vacation. Well, I did go on vacation, but uh, I just took all my notes with me and my, and my tape, you know, my hard drives and all of that. And the very first day I got on vacation, I started writing the next album. Uh, and um, that voice saw that, I don't know what it is. Um, the, the direction thing told said to me, okay, you, you've got to step it up a little bit on the next record. Yeah. Um, you've got to step it up, um, you know, just to, to prove something to yourself. Um, and 
it, the boxes it's got to tick as always for me it's got to be uh the audience who i feel very grateful for and have a good connection with uh, i want them to relate to it and it's important or at least be intrigued by it or engaged by it so i do consider them um but i was like i thought well okay after what i've just told you about the previous three records i was like uh you know that you're going to be revealing more about your inner life on this record and if you don't you failed the test yeah so i'd like to talk about the nuts and bolts of the process so i had jerry harrison of the talking heads on the podcast about a month ago and he says that he loves to write lyrics with a felt tip pen because he loves the scraping the feeling of the scraping of the pen on the paper and it he engages with the words when he feel he has that organic connection to the paper because you actually feel the scraping so i guess this is a a couple of things when it comes yeah. to writing lyrics are you a pen and paper person or a computer person and then i'd like to just hear about you know, are there certain types of day at certain times of the day when you feel you're more effective? Like I'm a morning person. Um, this is where I do my work, but it's never where I do my writing. I need to separate those things. So I will never, you know, I'll never write. I'll never, uh, I have a certain chair I like to write in, but I'd never write and revise in the same chair. So those things are separate. <laughs> I so, agree. So anyway, I'd love to hear how particular you are. Let's talk yeah. about that writing utensil, but also in general, that environment, how, because I, again, like I, re I read these articles with these interviews with the writers in the Paris review, and they're pretty specific about their routine. So well, anyway, I, I, that. I, well, I have to say that um, my writing uh, is, is definitely nighttime and the revising and the editing. And, and that is quite crucial because uh the changing of a word here or there when you're in daytime mode can be even more profound or significant it can be but uh in the editing mode but the actual the actual writing the concepts the phrases that are unusual they tend to happen at night and i'm quite extreme in in that uh they often happen in in the night, in the middle of the night. I, I spent years after the Smiths. In the Smiths, I was a very nocturnal person. Um, uh, uh, it was, you know, quiet and I got to, but I was just writing music then. And and as I got older, I thought, oh, I'm glad those days are behind me because I want to function like a real, like a regular human being, right? Um, but my... The people around me, my family and the band and stuff, I'll tell you that when I'm actually in make writing an album mode, uh, I, I'm I kind of am, I'm a little scatty, um, and I tend I tend to wake up um, in the middle of the night or not be able to sleep and lay lay around, and um, phrases come to me. So I write those. I write that down with a pen and paper by the side of the bed like a lot of people traditionally do that. Uh, and then, and then the next day I then put that on the laptop and I actually like the process of, of the laptop. Uh, I, I like, I have actually more distance than I do when I'm, when, when I'm hunched over with a pen and paper. So I think it gives me a physical distance. It gives me a sort of, um, editorial kind of, uh, perspective, I think, 
And I also like moving words around and lines around from verse one to verse two, kind of almost like Sudoku. Maybe it's not Sudoku or Tetris or yeah. something. And um, and but I'm very uh, I'm very uh, conscious of balancing uh, a sort of muse like in uh, could I put it. Uh, I like the balance between objectivity and inspiration. And quite often I'll drink too much caffeine and um, I'll be, I'll be going, right, I'm onto something here. And that, so I like that about word processors, the kind of shifting lines around, but what I'm saying is about the objectivity. It's important to have that freedom where you think like you're playing a game, but kind of half of my brain is going, you're writing a song, Johnny. Is this a good listen? Is this a good listen? Is this a good listen? I don't just let my imagination get so carried away. I try and it's the record producer in me. Yeah. Because I've produced so many other singers over the years. I think I have an association. I don't know whether this is interesting, but I think I have, I have because quite often back in Smith's days, or I would say we would we'd put a track down and then the vocal would go, vocal would, would go down. And I've been then looking at the lyrics. So, and then with electronic, particularly with Bernard Sumner, we'd be working late at night and he put some guide vocal down. And then the next day we would then transcribe that. Uh, and I'm, so I'm used to sitting at, at a board, the mixing desk, as we Brits call it. Right. And looking at what the old, what the folkies used to call the text. And, um, uh, so I'm almost, it serves me that when I put the thing into a word processor, I'm almost looking at it like the visual equivalent of a record. That's fascinating. Because uh, I think of songwriting, the end game for me is to make a record. And I've got no problem with that yeah. because there has to be some kind of any end game, but I was so obsessed. That's why I have this, this 45 tattoo on my, on my arm. That is to pay, that is to pay tribute to my younger self who would treat 45 seven inch records as almost like mystical objects. Yeah. I could wax lyrical about that forever. So in a way, writing, making a record. If I still think of that with a certain kind of reverence, um, almost like, or like a canvas, if you like, and an album, you know, to kill this metaphor, Stone Dead, and an album being a gallery with 12 of those canvases in. If that's what gets me to write a killer song, it's all good. It, it's, it, uh, you know, I had a couple of years ago, I had Daniel Lanois on the podcast, obviously a producer and a songwriter. He told me the exact exact opposite, and that is all of his songs he writes are on 11 by 22 art paper because he has errors and thought bubbles and words all over the place. The exact opposite of what you're saying, his stuff was all over the map, and there was no linear sense at all to it. Well, you know, actually, I've forgotten something very important in my process. Um, when I then go in the studio with the my main studio i've got two studios with my co-producer whose name is james doviak who i've been working with for many years james is operating you know like like most musicians i can operate pro tools i can operate it fairly well uh and um but i decided 
10 years ago that I, I, I wasn't going to do that when I was making tracks. That's a whole other conversation. I don't think for me it, it was not healthy. And I literally needed and to take several steps back from the computer to feel like a front man, feel like, like the leader of the band, because we can all, if we like technology and musicians, I, I'm, I'm so super into technology. If not, you can go down a rabbit hole. I've done that thing in the nineties where you spend four or five days on a backing track and you just, you, you're computing. And um, when I started to lead this band and do my solo thing, I'd done it. I'd seen so many different scenarios. I went, okay, the lead singer of this band has no business deciding on whether we use ribbon mics or condenser mics on the overheads. Seriously. I, I would like to be able to have all of those plates spinning and I have some of them spinning, but I was like, cause I've been around so many singers uh, it, as a band member, I was like, okay, right now, this, what would serve this record best is for the guy who writes the lyrics to be concerned with the third verse and not placing microphones in front of the kick drum. Cause I used to do that as well. Right. So I had to kind of, honor and i had to make that decision so james i'm very lucky because james is a jedi with pro tools but the what i'm getting to when i go to the studio to start doing my vocals which is another part of the process the bit i really like is i have th a5 books blank a5 and i i write in big big marker i write the lyrics down and if there's bits that aren't working, I pull out three sheets next to each other if there's a verse, and then I sort of go, right, that isn't working, come up with a different verse, come up with a second one, and come up with a second option and a third option. And I got that from David Byrne when I worked with the Talking Heads. Because what you mentioned in Jerry um, and what you just told me about uh, Daniel, um, I've, for I've forgotten that I do that. And that I love that bit because I know that the song is nearly done. It's just got a bit I need to fix. And also then when I come to do my my vocal, I like sing. It's become like a ritual for me now. I like reading off these big A5 sheets. And I know that, uh, that by that afternoon, because I usually sing in the day, the songs, the record's going to be done. It's great. And, and also the physicality. Of, so I almost do that as the last part, uh, the physicality of that A5 thing. And then, again, one of the fantastic things about this is it's uh, being a songwriter. You have these rituals. Uh, yeah. it, it is a ritualistic thing. And I look in my studio and I've got all of these big black, eight blank, the art books, blank, uh, unlined paper with these, these songs that are... Um, some of them aren't crossed out at all. So I won't sing off um, unless I, you know, unless I, I don't know, I'm, I'm being impatient, but I won't sing very rarely on my solo records while I sing a finished vocal off a laptop, but I like editing it on the laptop. Yeah. You, you mentioned running earlier uh, and, and 
I've written about this in the Washington Post about there's a very clear link. I'm a runner also. There's a very clear link between aerobic exercise and the immediate impact it has on creativity. So what they've done is they put people um, on a treadmill for about 20 minutes at about 60% max heart rate, which is not much more than a moderate walk. And then afterwards, administer a battery of tests to them that measure a higher order thinking. And those people always score higher than people who didn't exercise. So the the sweet spot, and it lasts for about 90 minutes post-exercise. Um, and the sweet spot is about 30 minutes at 60% max heart rate. So it's not dose responsive. So 60 minutes isn't twice as good as 30 minutes. 90% yeah. heart rate isn't better than 60%. But that benefit right. lasts for about 90 minutes post-exercise. As long as long as long as it's an activity that doesn't involve a lot of thinking. So for example, if you're running in an urban environment, it's not as effective as a natural environment because you've got to watch and not be hit by cars. So <laughs> I'd love to hear about um you know, if that's a period of, of if movement in general is a period of inspiration for you. Uh, there's, I, I can name, mark down so many of my songs uh, that either the riffs or actually some of the concepts for the words or titles that come to me actually while I'm running. Uh, I, I was running so much uh, uh, over the last, 10 years it slowed down a little bit now but not i'll be out for a run today so it's not too bad but um the, the kind of the most the biggest kind of solo hit certainly over here in the uk that i had is this song easy money and the whole song uh lyrics tune riff everything came at me while i was running uh and uh and then i recorded it on the tour bus um there's, there's a lot of them uh i i I uh, realized that uh, uh, a lot of uh, what I was doing and the way my solo stuff was shaping up in the first few albums uh, was absolutely uh, uh, affected by and inspired by by running. Tempos are up, uh, uh, concepts clear. I mean, I, I was even going, you know, because the truth of it is that I, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting the solo first solo record to go as well as it did. I mean, that's not false modesty. Genuinely, uh, it kind of took off. Uh, and um, uh, but what? So when I started doing a lot of press for it and all of this business, I, I remember saying, "Look, you know, people. Will, if, if I'm pressed, I want people to listen to this music. It's daytime music. Uh, I want. I'd like for people to listen to it." on the train on the way to school, on the train on the way to college, going to the gym, coming back, you know. Um, and I, 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 that occurred to me because loads of these tunes, I've got Speak Out, Reach Out on the second album, Playland, they, 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 they happened when I was running. Point being, I'm told then by fans that my stuff is really good to run to. Well, duh. Yeah, uh, well, it's not all pumping. It's not like necessarily all pumping, right. but it's it's daytime music, and and uh, I'm aware that you know you you maybe by making that distinction you might be narrowing things. But I've made records like with the the what that were distinctly nighttime music. Well, Agatha I, I like Christ I like the idea of it feeling like endorphins when I made these solo records. Yeah. 
Well, Agatha Christie once said the best time to write a book is when you're doing the dishes. And I take that to mean you get ideas during those mundane activities that require no, it could be running, could be anything, but we get activities. We're inspired when we are engaged in an activity that requires no conscious thought. Uh, so, you know, whether it's doing the dishes or running or vacuuming or gardening or, or, or showering, those are the times the greatest inspiration. Cause that lets the unconscious bubble up. Yeah. Well, I definitely think the opposite is, is, so let's look at the opposite. If you're trying too hard and you, you're really, really, you know, trying to force an idea, I, I one one thing that happens with me a lot is, so I get these melodies and lots of, you will have heard lots of people tell you, this. you if you get, you can um, get really uh, very almost trapped by the, the phonetics when you scat sing. Uh, you, oh man, it's got to really fit that, it's it's got to fit those syllables it's got to fit the phonetics right and that can really drive you insane uh and they do with me sometimes so um on the last record i had this this song called night and day and just because the the guide vocal was going i did the the, send this placeholder thing and i was excited about the melody and then i got stuck with it but what I did was I spent weeks on this really simple thing, really simple concept, just going, I cannot call this song night and day because it's just got to be smarter than that. It can't. And I ended up going, every road sign I looked at, every book, every TV show, those, those, I'm trying to replace it. And quite, quite often, sometimes you just have to go through all of that to just come back to where you started and go, nope, that's what it is. Uh, and then one of the last little story to tell you though is um, this thing like in the middle of the night. So this this song "Spirit, Power, and Soul" off uh, the last record. Um, you know, uh, I had the track again. I was singing some sort of scatty sort of singing, and um, it was really on my mind. This is what I mean about the, my family and my wife in particular, my brother and stuff. They'll say, you know. It, I'm a little scatty when I'm writing because it's the most important thing to me, more important than where I've left my keys, where I've left the dog. This this chorus is driving me crazy, right? Because it's nearly great. And um, I woke up in the, I fell asleep with an audio book on about history. And um, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning uh, and I just went spirit, power and soul. And I just kind of went, has Curtis Mayfield not already done that? As that's got to be a Sly Stone compilation album or something, really? And um, but the point is, is it if I'd have been sat around during the day and going through books or going through my notebooks and really trying and trying and trying, I might have thought, no, it just sounds too much like a Curtis Mayfield. It's spirit. But it came in the night and it was in, in the middle of no nothing. I was just like, and I was delirious. So that went down in the notebook, written down with the pen like that. And um, and and the, the best of album called Spirit Power because of it. And I still go, really? No one's written a song called Spirit Power and Soul? <laughs> really? Um, um, so it doesn't have to be the most original thing. It, it, it's just got to sound right with the music. And also it's got to be what me and my band are about. Yeah. I'm, I, I wouldn't. So what comes to mind, Leonard Cohen, it, 
I like that the machinations of being a songwriter and being a band leader and being in a band. I, I've all, and I talked earlier about being a student of. I don't think Johnny Marr band should have a song, an album, and you look on the back that says "Bird on a Wire." It's not me. It's not me. It's not what I'm about. But yeah. I, but I love Leonard Cohen, you know. Um, so I love that about bands, and I don't don't want to make out that it's really concept that it's all that you can design everything. You can't. But I like that. To come back to where we started, the craft of it. I I think there's nothing. I think that's to be honoured. The craft of it is. I should have a song called Dynamo. It just sounds right, and. I like that my titles, my band, and like Blondie, they should have, Blondie should have a title that says Union City Blue on it or Atomic. Nothing wrong with that. And that's where pop culture, and I love Aldous Huxley, he's my, my hero, right? And I love Rooney, and uh, I said Joe Didion, I love great writers uh, and all that. But what's great about the, why I get, well, I'm passionate about the area that I'm in, being a songwriter as, a, as opposed to profound, amazing literature, Goethe or whoever, uh, is that there's place that there's titles like Atomic and Union City Blue. And I, I love that about pop culture. It That kind of commercial word, rolling in the deep. It's a nice phrase. And pop culture provides it. I, I like that about pop culture. And as I say, I, I could gladly sit and, and do read, you know, much more kind of weighty tones, you know, when I'm in the, in the mood for it, but um, whatever it might be. But um, I, 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 I like, the, uh, I like the, the, the environment and the structure. And then, then you have the other thing, which is it's always great to surprise yourself. I don't know what my next song is going to be called. I, I can't design it, but when it hits me, like bang, it's, it looks like a record. And uh, then I've got, then I've got to make that record. And that's it for today's episode. Check back in a couple of weeks for a new episode. I do try to post these every two weeks, uh, sometimes with more frequency, sometimes with less. A lot of that depends on my work commitments, my family commitments, and also when artists can talk to me. It's not easy to get these interviews. Speaking of interviews, did you know this is a relatively new podcast? Uh, I only started podcasting about a year ago. Uh, well, depending on when you're listening to this, I should say 2022. But from 2010 to 2022, uh, all of my interviews were transcribed and they are all there archived for you to go down that deep rabbit hole. So if you go to songwritersonpodcast.com and click on from the archives in the top at the top, you'll see all of those transcribed interviews. I think there's over 200. Uh, so go down that rabbit hole. There's a lot of great interviews there. Um, but uh, you'll find all of those there. Again, the podcast itself is relatively recent. So there's a lot a lot of reading you need to be catching up on with those old interviews. Speaking of interviews, uh, if you have suggestions for interview subjects or want to comment or complain, anything like that, email me at ben at songwritersonprocess.com. That's ben at songwritersonprocess.com. And that's it for today's episode. This wraps it up. Thank you very much for listening and have a good one.